Miracy. Hello, I'm Cynthia Lamb, producer of Once Upon a Business, and today we're going to share a different kind of episode. You likely listen to Once Upon a Business because you love stories and learning business lessons from stories, and who doesn't want to listen to Lisa's silky tone? That's why I thought you might be interested in a brand new show that just launched on the Miracy FM podcast network. It's called Soul Savvy Business, and it's hosted by Lisa's friend and colleague, Katie Valentine. Soul Savvy Business explores the intersection of spirituality and business to help entrepreneurs leverage the potential of both. To give you a taste of it, we're running an episode from that show right here in the Once Upon a Business feed. I chose this particular episode because, well, Katie's guest is the host of Once Upon a Business, Lisa Bloom. So here's an opportunity to learn more about Lisa and how she navigates spirituality and business. Enjoy. If I have to take on another project, I think about how's that going to throw off my practices or my balance in my life. If I have to make a decision, I'm as likely to light a candle and use a pendulum to think about how I want to make this decision. That's something I never would have done five or ten years ago, but it's something I would do fairly frequently now. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine, and you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I'm a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, a Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar, but don't let that scare you. I support all paths to the divine and use such tools as chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. We often separate our spiritual selves from our business selves, not fully leveraging the potential of either one. Is it even possible to integrate them if you aren't in a spiritually-based business? This series aims to explore that and more. So keep listening as we illuminate the possibilities for living a life of ultimate freedom, peace, and abundance. We all express spirituality in different ways. Sometimes we have rituals or religious traditions. Other times we have an innate sense of something that is spiritual like looking at the ocean or smelling the fragrance of the woods behind our house. The very things that we think are just us, we may not even consider to be spiritual. What if we could see the deepest part of ourselves, things that are intrinsic to us as spiritual? There are some people who just do this naturally. They seem to radiate spirituality in all that they do and all that they are. My guest today is one of those people. I'm so looking forward to diving into this idea of intrinsic spirituality. But first. In every episode, I offer a tip around abundance and your spiritual journey. Abundance has to begin from within us. It begins from the inside and grows to the outside when it's ethical and when it's in alignment. To let abundance grow within us, we need something that is innate within all of us, but often gets crowded out with technology and an addiction to productivity culture. We need space, or more accurately, we need spaciousness. This can come in all sorts of forms of quiet time of meditation, but also walks outside and just time spent doing nothing. 
Unfortunately, TV doesn't really count. That's just free time. Spaciousness is the art of being alone with your own best friend, yourself. When we create spaciousness in our own lives, a few things happen. Our thoughts get lighter and more free. We also say no to productivity culture. And while there's nothing wrong with productivity, after all, we're entrepreneurs, our worth is not defined by our productivity. When we build spaciousness into our lives, we tell the universe that we can operate with spaciousness, that we don't have to do all of the time. This is a huge signal to abundance, which thrives with spaciousness. My invitation to you this week is to cultivate a little bit of spaciousness into your life every day, even if it's only for five minutes. Do nothing but be with yourself and see what magic happens. My guest today is a storyteller, author, and coach, Lisa Bloom. Lisa runs a business called Story Coach and helps entrepreneurs and business leaders attract and impact ideal clients and grow their business. She is also the director of Miracy's ACES Business Acceleration Program and host Once Upon a Business podcast on Miracy FM. Lisa grew up in a traditional Jewish household in Ireland. We're going to talk to her about her background, how it differs from her current spirituality, and how it intersects with her business. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Katie. It's great to be here. So I'm curious, Lisa, if anything resonated with you in that tip on abundance around spaciousness. Yeah, it sure did. (laughs) I was thinking to myself, gosh, I've got to do that too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because, you know, I'm busy, right? And I'm conscious that I need more spaciousness. And usually my spaciousness is I have a tendency to to kind of try to do something more than just be spacious, you know, which kind of defeats the process, right? So I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll have some time to myself, but then I'll, I don't know, try and listen to a podcast or try and read something. And I'm not actually just being fully present and really in that alone space. I'm so with you. And many of our listeners might be joining me and being a little bit of a workaholic because I really enjoy what I do. And so then I want to do it all of the time. And I even found myself not too long ago giving myself a task where there's a really pretty waterfall, five minutes walk from my house. And I thought, oh, I could go take a picture of it every day. And after 365 days, I'd have this little like flip book. Then I thought I just gave myself a job to do in my spacious time. I gave myself an assignment that's not that helpful. So the struggle is real. Yeah. And, you know, one of the ways I was actually really influenced by the writings of Thich Nhat Hanh, who talks about peace being within and turning moments of meditation, or I should say turning our tasks into moments of meditation. So for me, spaciousness can be while I'm hanging laundry or while I'm washing dishes, or my absolute favorite is walking my dog in the morning, which feels to me like a morning prayer. It feels like really, because I'm not somebody who prays in a conventional way. And yet to me, Definitely. Walking my dog first thing in the morning is the morning meditation, the morning prayer. That reminds me of the mantra, it's not the word that they would use, but the motto of many Catholic orders, which is work is prayer, prayer is work. So that kind of idea of being dedicated to the task at hand and that and only that as being sacred. Yeah, I love that. And it's also, I mean, to me, it speaks to a place that's really about not needing to think while you're doing something. So the doing doesn't quite matter, but it also creates a rhythm. A rhythm of activity, which I think is 
in many ways, a kind of a prayerful state. Yes, I like that, the prayerful state. And it can be with very ordinary things, so we don't have to be on a mountaintop or in a 21-day retreat setting, although those are fine, but we don't have to be there in order to have these moments of spaciousness. Yeah, and it fits with the busy life of the entrepreneur because I don't have time or space to sit on a mountaintop or go to a 10-day retreat, you know, at this particular time. I have a lot on, and yet I think making space for that is super important. Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about what word or words you use when you're referring to God or when you're referring to the divine, whatever it is that you call that? It's funny, when you approached me to be interviewed for this podcast, my first thought was me. (laughs) Like, me? Why me? Because I didn't think my sense of spirituality was so obvious because it's not something I've ever put forefront or spoken about necessarily in a work context. And yet clearly not just you, but other people have mentioned a, a kind of a spiritual approach to some of the work I do. But I think when I think to myself or I speak to certain people who are close to me, I would use the word God. But I don't see God as being, you know, the bearded white guy in the sky. You know, that's not what I think of God. I think of God more as a presence that's within us and around us and in all places. And so I've kind of moved away from very much the the environment I grew up in and the type of Jewish tradition and concept of, of what God is. So I call that the Charlton Heston effect, where we kind of picture God looking a lot like Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments, even though I know Charlton Heston played Moses, not God. But yeah, so this, you're using the word God, but you're not using it in the super conventional way. Right. So I think of God more as a presence. But if I'm talking about this presence, I don't use the word presence. I would use the word God because I think that's, I think God is a great word and it has so much meaning and it can be interpreted by so many people in so many ways. And I, above all, I feel that God is personal and not something that I can explain that should be a certain way for others. I love your use of the word presence. Maybe that's one you're using for your own self and your own journey. Sometimes we don't even use words when it's just us alone either because there's no need for it. But in a story I just wrote about my childhood and my sense of God when I was very small, three years old, presence with a capital P is exactly the word that I've used. So I love that kind of union that we've, we've both experienced. Yeah, I love that. But also I would describe it very much as this awareness of something greater and something very mystical and something very magical, really. Well, let's back up a little bit and see how you've gotten from kind of point A to where you are now with this magical and mystical presence. Can you tell us a little bit about your religious and your spiritual background? Sure. So I grew up in a very traditional Jewish-Irish family. I grew up in Dublin. And my parents, they were both Jewish, and my father came from a quite a secular background. My mother came from a more religious background, and they compromised when they came together. So our home life was a little bit of a mix, where we saw what secular looked like and we saw what religious looked like, and the expectation was that we would be more religious growing up. I had a sense of that thing that's bigger than me, that presence that's beyond me. And I don't talk about this very often, but I remember in my childhood, especially in times of crisis, feeling a desire for prayer and not quite sure, not being quite sure how to get there. So in the Jewish tradition, especially in the Orthodox Jewish tradition, we pray in Hebrew, and yet I didn't understand Hebrew. 
So we're taught to pray in a language that we don't understand. And so sometimes in synagogue, I would be following the words in Hebrew without understanding a word of it. And I would try and catch up with the English translation, but it was in archaic English. So it didn't have a lot of meaning for me. But I do remember moments of just feeling a presence and wanting to pray in a different way and not knowing how. Judaism is a lifestyle. It's not just a going to church, going to synagogue, and that is your Judaism. Judaism is very much about how you live in your home, what you eat, how you celebrate holidays. And it was always different to everyone around us because the Jewish community is very, very small. We grew up in Ireland where they used to say it's 95% Catholic, 5% Protestant, and the rest are Jewish. You know, that's what they used to joke. So it was a tiny, tiny community. And so there was a very strong sense of being different and yet being very committed to this lifestyle that, that was different to everybody else. And what have you held on to now from that tradition? Well, it's interesting because I followed a similar path to my mother in that I married somebody who was completely secular. And so we had to come up with an agreement in the way we would live. And we did a very practical, you know, what can you not live without and what can you compromise on? And so for me, it was very important to have a kosher home. So we still have a kosher home. For him, it was very important to travel on the Sabbath, especially living here in Israel, where the Sabbath is the only day off in the week, real day off. He wanted to be able to travel to see family. And so we found a compromise and we brought up our kids with a sense of ceremony and a sense of holiday and a sense of kind of the lifestyle part of Judaism. But I think my own sense of belonging to, ch to a church or to a synagogue shifted and my own sense of recognizing where I felt most spiritually connected shifted. So it was no longer looking for it desperately in synagogue and more about being in nature and being in community and being in places that I love with people that I love and feeling a sense of the presence of God in those places. And sometimes in work, feeling like in the work that I do, there are just moments of incredible grace and incredible beauty that feels far beyond anything I could have ever created or been part of. So that's a beautiful segue into kind of the next area of exploration, which is maybe you can tell us just a little bit about how you do incorporate spirituality into your business? You know, I don't think I do it intentionally. I don't think I have ever looked to or thought about how do I bring spirit into my business in an intentional way, certainly not when I started out. For me, it was very focused on how do I make a living? How do I make this business work? And how do I do it in a way that um, feels aligned with who I am? And I think that alignment meant that the spirituality was infused without intention because that's who I am. So there's a spiritual part of me that I haven't really looked or needed to define in a business context, and it kind of seeps in without even realizing. So for me, authenticity in business, and especially online business, especially when you're working in a virtual way, authenticity is so much a part of what I bring and what I teach and what I believe. So. If I'm being truly authentic, that spiritual piece is going to seep in without me realizing. And I guess that's what's happened. Yeah, I love that you're doing this just by being authentic, just by being who you are. And in some ways, that's the way we can maybe be the most spiritual beings that we are by not trying to make a bunch of round pegs fit into square holes. Yes, I think that's true. I think that if we have a sense of spirituality in our lives, if it's important to us, if it's central to who we are and how we see the world, and we're being authentic in business, then it will show up. And it doesn't require an enormous effort. 
I love that you've been able to keep the parts of the tradition and the ritual. Like it sounds like you've created a container within your household for that to continue with keeping kosher, with making you know compromises with your husband, and creating a household that honors the traditions without being enslaved to them. Yeah, for sure. And at a certain point in time, you also realize that every person in your home particularly your children, are going to follow their own path. And it may not be the path that you would want for them or choose for them. And part of my beliefs are being able to just let them find their way and be really open with them. So when I talk about things that seem strange or unreasonable or, oh, you know, my youngest son said to me the other day, well, I just don't believe that. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. You don't have to believe it, but I do. And it's who I am. And then My other son, a few weeks back when I was telling him about some adventure I had been on and there was spiritual content in it. And he looked at me and he said, mom, you know, I don't really believe that, but I think it's awesome that you do and that you've experienced that. And it's so interesting. And so for me, that my kid can say that without feeling like I was threatening him or pressuring him that he had to believe, that gives me hope that he'll be open to spiritual experience in the future, even though he may not be right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the the quickest way to strangle someone's openness to spirituality is to insist on how they have to be or what they have to believe or what they need to do. Lisa talked about holding on to many of the values and practices of the Jewish tradition, but expanding her spirituality and practices to a broader degree, including some that are really outside of the traditional Jewish box. This really resonates with me as a Christian minister who also uses tools that are outside of the traditional church box. I asked Lisa to talk a little bit about how either her traditional background or her current spirituality has influenced her as an entrepreneur, and if she has any unconventional tools of her own that she uses in her current spiritual practice. Well, I think When I initially made the decision to start my business and to pursue what I'm doing now, it was very much informed by the culture, which to me is partly a religious culture around the centrality of family. And I knew that even though I had a corporate career and I was doing well, once my kids, you know, a few of my kids were born and I saw what they needed to me, being a mother was central. And I knew that I had to change the way I worked. That was clear to me. And then it was a matter of how do I do that? And how do I find a path that's going to allow me the flexibility to be in their life all the time and also to build something? As I grew my business, I don't think I had a connection particularly between my spiritual self and my business self. I think I was quite disconnected from it actually in the initial years. I think that's changed over time. I think that in the last maybe five, seven years, I've opened up to different types of practices and different types of what I would see as being kind of spiritual content or spiritual perspective that very much informs all the things I do in the way I make decisions, in the way I just move forward into the opportunities I take and the opportunities I don't take. If I have to take on another project, I think about how is that going to throw off my practices or my balance in my life. If I have to make a decision, I'm as likely to light a candle and use a pendulum to think about how I want to make this decision. That's something I never would have done five or 10 years ago, but it's something I would do fairly frequently now. 
As you say that, I just reach for the pendulum that's to my left that I keep really near my desk all of the time. And I'm curious if you might just speak into that a little bit. What is it about that practice that feels in alignment with you or how does that help you? Well, so over the last few years, when I've become aware of things like crystals, ceremony, and being more open to different ways of perceiving and different types of intuition, I might find myself in the middle of a particularly challenging conversation and find that there's a crystal in my hand that I hadn't noticed I'd picked up, but that suddenly it was there. And I believe that those energies are here to support me. And the pendulum is something that um, I'm fairly new to the pendulum, only in the last couple of years but it's something that I've seen to be helpful. I do believe we have guides, we have you know, angels, we have spirit around us that can support us if we choose to allow them in. I've spent many years not acknowledging that or not knowing that or not allowing them in. But in more recent times, I might meditate and ask a question and then the answer becomes super clear or pick up the pendulum and ask a question and then the answer is very clear or simply hold a crystal in my hand or on my lap and feel like, oh yes, I know what to do now. So for years, I've been working with people and being able to reflect to them a level of understanding and intuition and perception that I had no way to understand it or describe it or share how I did it, and yet I trusted it. And it didn't come from some kind of a logical, intentional place. I believe it came from an inspired spiritual place. And similarly, I really struggled with stage fright. And I've been a speaker for many, many years, and I've struggled with stage fright my entire life. And I would find myself, when I realized, okay, this is something I truly want to do, and I love doing, I'm actually quite good at it. I would find myself, as I prepared to step on stage, in absolute terror, just saying to myself these mantras and these thoughts that were, you know, trust the space, trust the story, know that you're just channeling stuff from somewhere else. It's not you. It's you're, you're allowing this to come through. All of this kind of spiritual stuff, I've been doing it for years, but I didn't really recognize it as, oh yes, this is me being spiritual. I didn't see it as that. This was just me tuning into what was there in that moment and what I felt to be true. So this is beautiful for me to be able to talk about what I call the woo-woo part of spirituality that's actually very not woo-woo once you begin to incorporate it in. And what feels like to me for you in a very, very authentic way, because these are tools. They're not magic wands, so to speak. They don't solve everything. They help us tap into our, our deepest selves. And I use crystals and pendulums in very much the same way and kind of the way I appeal to guides or angels or spiritual presences is also very similar. They're part of the unseen reality that exists just beyond my senses. But the more attuned I get to them, the more I'm able to kind of tap into that energy and it helps me align with my business. And I'm curious if that feels true for you too. Well, you know, it does, Katie, but what also occurs to me is it does not surprise me at all that this is your practice, but how on earth did you know it was mine too? It's not something I ever speak about or have ever spoken to people about. It's so funny. And yet you invited me here. It's so interesting. We'll let the spiritual universe take care of that piece and just be grateful that we're connected in this way and can share this part. And I have a feeling there's a lot of, of entrepreneurs out there who are secretly like reaching for their pendulums right now or wishing maybe that they had a pendulum or those, you know, there might be listeners who also who say that's just not for me, which is also okay. There's so many different ways to be in alignment. This is just one small tool that, you know, you and I both happen to connect with. 
When I was a very, very small child, before I could read, I had a cassette tape that went along with the book. And the cassette tape would beep when I was supposed to turn the pages to see the new pictures. My favorite ones were stories from the Bible. And that's really, I think, how I got to love scripture as story, rather than as rules or as a book of condemnation. It was a story that I was invited to see myself in. For me, this is such an empowering way to view and to participate in sacred stories like scripture. Story is such a foundational way that we tell about our spiritual past through our spiritual present. Christians often look to the Bible as a source of inspiration, of story, and let's face it, sometimes as a set of rules. The Jewish tradition, of course, also sees the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament as scripture. Judaism also has a couple of different sets of tools for engaging with the story. The Talmud is a collection of ancient oral traditions, stories, and commentaries on the Hebrew Bible. These layers of stories and commentaries form a fabric with the original story from the Bible for Jewish interpretation. Another layer to add is something called Midrash. Midrash is an interpretation of a story, and it's often done by telling another story. The ancient rabbis would tell a story to interpret a story from the Bible. So in Judaism, there's this really beautiful, rich tapestry of story on story on story that helps explain something important. This is also fascinating to me. And of course, Lisa's business is steeped in the telling of traditional folktales and fairy tales extracting valuable lessons from them. So I had to find out if Lisa's love for storytelling is intertwined with her own spirituality. You know, I used to, I, I often joke that growing up Irish Jewish, like what else could I have become than a storyteller? Because both <laughs> traditions are steeped in stories, right? I often ask people this question, you know, who was your first storyteller? Who was the person who told you stories as a child? And one of my very first storytellers in my life was a Carmelite priest who was a good friend of my father's. And he would come over and he bought me a book of Bible stories and he used to read me these stories. And it was ironic that firstly, my father was very interested in many things in philosophy and religions. And he was not a very well-educated man. He left school very early in order to work. And yet he was very interested in this and he befriended this Carmelite priest. And he was a huge figure that really helped me embrace stories. But growing up in Ireland, stories is how people communicate, and it's part of the language, it's part of the, the culture. And then Jewish faith is full of stories. Some of the best storytellers I've, I've known in my life have been rabbis. So I think that it was always deeply connected for me, and perhaps now is the first time I've ever said that out loud and realized it, that it was deeply connected to my sense of spirit and connection and culture. And so... What I've always loved in Judaism is the ability for, you know, a group of rabbis to come together and interpret things differently and then argue it out. <laughs> and, and all those writings and those thinkings are recorded and people are invited to step in and to have their own opinion and their own interpretation. And very often the oldest of stories from the Bible or from any of the interpretations are as relevant now as they've ever been because they deal with human emotion and human experience. And so that's where for me, religion comes alive. Although I must admit that over the last few years, I've drifted further from the religion and more to, towards the spiritual practices. 
As I thought about what Lisa said about drifting from religion into spirituality, it made me think of my own drifting, how my beliefs around certain things like money have changed as a result. We've certainly talked about the power of story to resonate and to help us form our own identities, but stories can also play a part in keeping us very small. For instance, if we have a story around money being shameful or a story around abundance being only for certain kinds of people but not us, those stories can limit us. Yet stories can also set us free. When I learned how to tell myself a new story around the value of money, around the excellence of abundance, my own money story changed and expanded and got bigger. And of course, we all know that sometimes spiritual and religious backgrounds can keep us feeling very, very small around money and abundance. I asked Lisa if her own religious or spiritual beliefs have ever influenced the way she thinks or feels about money. So my first reaction as you asked that question would be, no, not really. And yet, certainly around money, I feel like my family stories and my early experiences were much more of an influence on my attitude towards money and my choices around money. But the sense of abundance is definitely a spiritual concept for me. The belief that all is well, that things happen for a reason, that people are always doing their best and that the universe is an abundant place. That's definitely a spiritual belief that I have. Yeah. And going back to the abundance tip from today about spaciousness, it feels so resonant to me what you said that abundance really is a practice. And one of the practices, there's many, but one of the practices we could put into place would be providing spaciousness. And partly that helps us get out of that fight, flight, freeze. It helps get us into a space where we can experience abundance, like spaciousness itself is abundance. So I'm curious if there's practices we can put into place to help us cultivate that sense of abundance as a spiritual practice. Yeah. And I also think it's about recognizing in yourself, what is that space for you or what is that practice for you? So for some people, it means, you know, going to church and praying, or for some people, it means going elsewhere completely. For me, it's about, you know, going to the beach and walking in the beach, especially in winter or, or being in a forest, being in a beautiful beautiful, natural space, or just having those moments of laughter with people that you love. These are the places for me that create a sense of abundance. And sometimes, you know, Brene Brown talks about how joy is one of the hardest emotions to experience. We don't allow ourselves to experience joy, but in those moments where we do experience joy, that is to me a spiritual moment, a moment of absolute abundance. That's beautiful. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask Lisa if she had any parting advice to share with our listeners. So I'm not sure I'm the person to give advice around spirituality, to be honest, because I feel like such a novice. But maybe that's the advice is allow yourself be a novice. Allow yourself the grace of learning and exploring and figuring out what are the right places and spaces and practices for you that help you to connect to something that's going to give you that sense of meaning and spirit in your life. And not to expect that it's going to happen fast or that it's going to be uh, what everybody else does or what anybody tells you that you should be doing, but instead this gentle exploration around where you need to be and who you need to be. And then one other thing that I think is important is to allow yourself the time 
and create the intention to explore the stories that you may be telling yourself that would prevent you from discovering this path, the stories that don't essentially belong to you, the stories that somebody else has been telling you or that you've been told over years or in your childhood that would tell you that you need to do something or be something that you're not. And allow yourself to let go of those stories and create new stories for yourself. That would be my piece of advice. I can't think of any better advice from a story coach than to explore our own stories and see which ones are real for us, see which ones need maybe new endings or new beginnings and to launch from there. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. What is the best way for people to find you? The best way is on my website, story-coach.com. Perfect. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business. Soul Savvy Business is a part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business with Lisa. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal and Cynthia. Melissa assembled the episode. Danny Eney is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like the show, please give us a starred review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we will see you next time.